Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Justin Talbot. Justin is a senior patent agent in Foley's Milwaukee office, and Justin is actually the first patent agent that I have had on the podcast. In this discussion, Justin reflects on growing up in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and attending the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where he earned his degree in mechanical engineering. During this discussion, I talked to Justin about how it was that he became familiar with his career path. He discusses how early on he knew that he wanted to be an engineer, but that also, due to his other interests and basically skill with words, he knew he wanted to do something beyond traditional engineering. He shares how he was exposed to intellectual property as a path and discusses how he went on to become a patent agent. Additionally, even though Justin is not a JD, you will hear that he does technically practice law because he is a member of the patent bar, but his licensing is such that his practice is limited to being before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So he talks about what his job entails, how he learned to be a patent agent, and also discusses the really cool technologies that he is exposed to with his work at Foley. I also get Justin to talk about his leadership role in the firm as national chair of Foley's patent agent group. And Justin also provides some wonderful advice on the importance of building relationships. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Justin. Justin, welcome to The Path and the Practice. I'm so happy to have you here today. Let's just start by having you give your professional introduction. Thanks, Alexis. So my name's Justin Talbot. I'm in the Milwaukee office with Foley. I've been practicing for going on 15 years. I started practice in 2007, so whatever that is. And I've been with Foley for a little over five years now. And I am a senior patent agent in our intellectual property group. I work with the the METPEG, or the Mechanical and Electromechanical Technologies Practice Group within IP. And I also serve as the national chair of our patent SEAL team. The SEAL team is S-E-A-L. We love acronyms. We're engineers. So the SEAL team is scientists, engineers, agents, and law clerks that are working in our our IP team. And uh, in in that capacity, I kind of work as as a go-between between the IP management and our individual SEAL team members. All right. So we are going to unpack all of that. And also let's just say, and SEAL team just sounds cool. Like that's just a cool acronym. So bravo to whoever figured that out as the acronym. Before we dive in to talk about you personally, before we talk about you professionally, I just have to say you're in the illustrious position of being the first patent agent that I have had on the podcast, which is kind of hard to believe because Foley actually has a number of patent agents and engineers, and we'll talk about that as well. But before we do, Let's start somewhat at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. So I'm from southeastern Wisconsin. I live out in the lake country of of, uh, Wisconsin, which is maybe about 30 minutes uh, west of Milwaukee. 
I, I grew up here for yeah my life and then ended up moving out there right after college, uh, which was not exactly planned, but found an old farmhouse out kind of in my old neighborhood and uh, and moved into that. All right. And give me some names. Name the, the town you grew up in. I'm, I'm from Wisconsin as well, so I have some sense of things. That's good. We can have a pronunciation uh, quiz quiz with our, our uh, groups from the other air, uh, offices later. So I live in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, which is locally known as the Five O's because it's O-C-O-N-O-M-O-W-O-C which uh, is always great to spell out for people for shipping addresses. And such. You know what? Oconomowoc checks out. I would say it the same way. But like I, like I said, I spent, you know, half of my life in Wisconsin. So I'm good with all the pronunciations. But you are right. Others, others who look at some of the French as well as some just like the Native American <laughs> names, they, they struggle. They struggle. There's some there's some names you might see where you're like, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> so give me a snapshot of what was life like growing up in Oconomowoc? What what were you into as a kid? So I always tell people that I grew up dairy farm adjacent. My community was kind of split between, you know, people who had white collar jobs and people who were still on dairy farms. So I, my dad was in international sales growing up. So I didn't work on a farm, but I had a lot of friends who were farmers and grew up as a weird country kid for the most part. Yeah, I, I don't know. I had, I had a very very normal childhood, a lot of fun stuff going on, getting into trouble and mischief, which most people who know me will not think of not that as surprised. a surprise. Yeah. We're going to dig into that just a little bit, but I do have to comment on the way you described it as dairy farm adjacent. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I like to think there's other parts of the country who may have that same description, but let's be honest, Wisconsin you know, people think of dairy farms. Many episodes back when I had our CEO, Jay Rothman, on the show, he actually talked about growing up on a working farm. I don't think it was a dairy farm, though, but I did tell him, I was like, Jay, you're doing nothing for the stereotypes of <laughs> Wisconsin yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, I think anybody who grew up, you know, who's a little bit older, if they grew up outside of, you know, downtown Milwaukee, Madison, or the Fox Valleys, you're you're probably also dairy farm adjacent. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, let's see if we can talk a little bit about potential mischief you would have gotten into. But if I found you in, say, middle school, like what what were you into? I want to get a sense of like what type of kid were you? Yeah, my grade school teachers would probably describe me as enjoyably problematic. I've always talked a lot. So I think that's probably what what the description would be. But energetic kid running around sports hobbies tv shows anything like that that comes to mind played a lot of sports so i played football growing up uh, and track were kind of my primary sports so i did a lot of that but yeah i mean we grew up playing sandlot baseball and that kind of stuff and i don't know running around playing on farms chasing cows stuff like okay, that so it's one of those like bucolic is the word yes i totally <laughs> i understand and i love asking this question because we do we get a wide array of listeners and some of them aren't working in law firms in any capacity. But I think when you pull up, you know, your bio or the bio of an attorney at our firm, you're just like, you know, they were, they came to this earth. He was born a patent agent. And so it's just interesting to remind people, you know, we're just people too, just normal folks. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think a lot of engineers or I'm a mechanical engineer by schooling. I mean, I grew up doing a ton of woodworking. We, we, my family bought a uh, or built a house and we had it stick framed and then we just built the rest of the house. So growing, I grew up, you know, with a wood shop and 
just kind of building and like the classic take apart the alarm clock and figure out how the gears work kind of kid. I thought, how old, how old were you when your family built that house? It was 1990. So pretty young. I'm I would have been, I was six. Yeah. yeah. I was six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they have you help build it? Oh yeah, for sure. There's, <laughs> there's, there's little Justin hammer marks all over that house. So my dad's a, a an actually accomplished kind of uh, cabinet maker kind of guy. So the house is very nice, but yeah, I did more of like the flooring and rough kind of work and carrying a lot of things around at the time. That's amazing. Sometimes, so I have two boys, they're, they're eight and 10 and I will sometimes joke with them that like, I just need you to like watch some YouTube so you can be more useful um, with maintaining our very, our, our, our quite old 1906 home. So that inspires me. Let me see if I can get them to do some, at least just some basics. They could do tile work. We could yeah. figure that out. Right. That's right. Yeah. My dad, <laughs> my dad was a big uh, fan of the term watcher helper. You can be a great helper by watching intently and not doing anything else. That's a great that one. So for great. I wish I would have known that a few years ago. All right. So take me, take me to high school. And I'm curious about the transition to, in particular, to college. Like, how did you navigate that? How did you figure out where you wanted to go? Sure. So I was a good student in high school. I was not overly fond of homework assignments, but I tested very well and took a very large number of AP courses and um, kind of ran with different groups, but among them was the the uber science nerds in our high school. So, so I spent a lot of time doing science and by, I would say junior year, I knew I wanted to go into engineering of some kind, but I also, you know, I did like some forensic stuff. I worked, I did, I worked for our local TV uh, channel doing production and, and hosting and stuff throughout that. And I've always been really into literature and that kind of stuff. So I, I knew even before I went to college that I was not likely to pursue a traditional engineering career after school. So high school was really informative for me in that way. And I was super lucky. I went to a huge high school in the area out here and had a lot of opportunities to try different things in high school. You've said some some really interesting stuff, though, because like it's almost like you're describing the two sides of the brain because it seems that people often want to pick between like I am STEM or I am, you know, literature and these other creative things. And what you said about you had a sense that, you know, you wanted to do engineering, but you knew it wasn't going to be traditional. Super interesting. I'm certain we're going to talk more about that. You also mentioned a word I haven't heard in a really long time, at least in the context I think you're using it in, which is forensics. I'm thinking you mean in terms of like, the, the speech and speaking competition. Yeah, I don't even, which, I don't, man, that might not be a thing anymore. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> when I was I a kid, that, that was like, it was like debate and like skits and like comedy and like just yes. whatever. Yes, I did that Imagine as Dungeons well. and Dragons, but the <laughs> acting and being silly part is the well, more important part. I was right there ways. with you. I did forensics in middle school and in high school. And I've, nobody else on this show so far has said that word to me. <laughs> so. Like, I think I have a couple little forensics trophies because we would tra travel around, you know, Wisconsin. I had a partner and we were the, it, it was, we were, it was me and my like best friend would, we were reciting the same poems together. I forgot what it was called. It was like synchronized, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going though. Okay. So the seed is planted. It's really funny. You know, engineering, but you have all these other interests. So where did you go to college and how did you decide? So I applied to two schools. One was the UW of Madison and the other one was UW-Milwaukee. I wanted to stay close to home and public schools were a great budget choice for me. And yeah, Madison put me on the wait list and yeah, my self-confidence has never been a problem of mine. So I 
sent them a rebuttal letter and opted to go to UWM because I didn't want to be on the wait list. Okay, I have to. I have not heard. You have to. What what did what was highlights of the rebuttal letter? Just give me some highlights. It was mostly just I would I would say looking back, probably just a rant about how it was a terrible decision and how they would rue the day. They would live to regret yeah. it. Right. I haven't gotten any uh, subsequent letters back from Madison about their deep seated regrets, but but yeah, I ended up going to UW Madison for four years. Lived on the east side. Had a great time. All right. So I'll touch on it briefly. So what was that? You said you had a great time. You focused on engineering. I don't know. What was that experience like? Was there any adjustment to, to college? Yeah, co- college was great. I had I loved high school because I didn't take my grades particularly seriously and was involved in a ton of stuff and, you know, whatever. I, I made good money in the jobs that I was in and I wasn't paying for housing and food and all that stuff. When I went to college, I both simultaneously no longer had free housing and was paying a lot of money for things, but also took my school very seriously. So college was a ton of work. It was a good it was a good time. I had good friends that I, you know, moved in with and lived with and all of that. So college was fun, but it was a lot of work overall. Well, and was and was mechanical engineering a given for you? I mean, you've mentioned a number of things that to me it makes sense, but at what point did you always know mechanical engineering would be the focus or did you decide while in school? Yeah, I I always wanted to do mechanical engineering. Had and still have to some degree like a, a significant interest in just old school engineered items. Like I did a, an independent study of the physics of trebuchets in high school and built a lot of weird contraption kind of things. So yeah, mechanical engineering was a was a no brainer for me. I like always have liked working on cars and just mechanical systems were always very interesting to me. All right. So what was the plan professionally then? You knew you wanted to do mechanical engineering, but earlier you mentioned that you knew you might want to do something a little bit different. And this is where I'm just curious, like, did you know that this career was even an option or initially did you think you'd be doing something else? I I did. I I mentioned earlier that I've always talked a lot. So it, it had been brought to my attention that perhaps something in the legal field might make a lot of sense for me, always trying to wiggle out of the mischief that I was getting myself into. So, so I had considered the legal field and through um, one of my older brothers, I ended up um, getting connected with a patent attorney at one of the local law firms here. And when I went to school, I started meeting with him once a semester to go over my course list and uh, just kind of keep, keep that line of communication open. So it was, it was my plan from the start of college to hopefully pursue a career in intellectual property law. Um, initially, the plan was to go to law school, but that's not the way it panned out. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting to me. And it makes sense that, you know, being becoming potentially going to law school is on the horizon. But I do think a lot of people who pursue engineering aren't aware of this path. And they're certainly not aware of it early on in college. So I just find that really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, I, I think I had a an interesting perspective in it, knowing that I, I liked the coursework of engineering. I liked designing things, but getting one of those amazing engineering jobs where you're, you know, designing Formula One suspensions or something like that. There's like seven people who get to do that work. And for the most part, the other engineering jobs that were realistically going to be on the other side of the school, I was a little less interested in. And I also, I've always, I like the inner personal communication and, you know, persuasive strategy and concepts. I, I find all of that part interesting that you really lose a lot of in engineering 
so I, I was looking very early on for something that I could use a technical degree for, but not be directly engineering. Also, my brothers are significant. I keep bringing up my brothers, but they're, they're 10 and nine years older than me. And my middle brother went into engineering sales after graduating with a structural engineering degree. So, you know, alternative uses of engineering degrees mm-hmm. was kind of already on the horizon. That's really interesting. Okay, so what happens, like, it sounds like, you know, you were focused on this particular area, intellectual property and engineering in, in some capacity, um, and you're gearing your classes towards it and all that. So eventually you have to graduate. How do you navigate it from there? Did you take the patent bar while in college? Or like, what what happens next? No, I did not. I, I um, like I said, I'd been in communication with a patent attorney at another um, firm. So I interviewed with them while I was in school, my senior, junior year, senior year, whatever, senior year, maybe, and got their job offer. So I I had it lined up before I finished school and then started the Monday after graduation. Uh, So not a particularly exciting, weird story for how I found my career. I kind of did it on purpose and then it worked out. So I was super happy about that, obviously. But, but not exactly a, I found something that I didn't think I was looking for kind of story. And then as far as the patent bar goes, so uh, patent agents are required to sit for the USPTO registration exam, the same, same way patent attorneys would need to be in order to practice um, patent law. At the, at the first firm I was with, uh, they do not encourage brand new people to take the test right away. There's various reasons. We all have different strategies for our programs. So I think I took, I think I took my patent exam in my fourth year of practice, I think, which looking back was dynamic because I had two small children at the time and was working 1850 minimum hours and earning $50,000 post-recession. So it was a dynamic time. That's a great um, <laughs> adjective you have. Dyna- I like that. dynamic. Yeah. There was a lot of moving parts at that point. But you only have to take that test once, and uh, and now I've got that one in the back. I'm using that in the future. Thank you for that dynamic no- noted. Well, there's a couple things. So I'm trying to think of the order I want to go in, because I want to talk about like what you specifically do at Foley, but I also want to use you to help just educate even more about what a patent you know, agent or patent engineer does. So perhaps we could start there. And you know, you've mentioned you know, taking the, the bar you know, for the USPTO, but what exactly does a patent agent do? Like, what what is what is the job? Sure. So, patent agents are are an odd position within the legal field, in that the patent office grants the limited right to practice law before themselves, the patent office, to individuals who pass this examination. However, I'm I, as a patent agent, I'm not a member of any state bar, so I'm not a barred attorney, but I'm permitted to practice law specifically for the purpose of the procurement of patent rights. So anything that falls under that purview is essentially what a patent agent does. So we do, you know, a lot of different patent counseling activities at Foley, including drafting of patent applications, you know, patent filing strategy work with our clients, prosecution work. So the, you know, persuasive writing between client and the, uh, and the USPTO, We do searching activities, diligence work, help on opinion matters under the purview or or under the direction of other attorneys, um, things like that. So as you said, I mean, it's all the things related to 
this this intellectual property, these patents, and at the risk of driving listeners crazy who are like, Alexis, we get it. <laughs> I'm just going to ask the dumb question one more time. But just to make it clear, particularly for, you know, I don't know, somebody who's in college or just considering this path, essentially there are, you know, large clients that that we work with and they have something you know, that they believe requires some sort of protection. I don't, you know, a, a device, I don't know, an idea. And, you know, tell me if I'm totally slaughtering this, but they, they come, um, you know, to Foley or to whatever person with, you know, patent expertise and say, here, help me through this process, essentially. And everything you said, it sounds like in some way relates to that, right? The client needs assistance getting a patent for this or seeing if it's even patentable or things. Yeah. Take yeah. over at any point. I'm trying. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely right. I so we just got done with the career fair in Madison, and and my 10 second ele elevator speech is always what we try to do is help our clients protect their R and D investments through the patent process. So that involves strategy of you know what you should should not file on. You know, is trade dress, trademark, uh, copyright, or are other intellectual property entities a better better choice as, instead of a patent and then how do we go about protecting your you know innovations and your important business products using the patent system i want to get some reflections for you on you know you've been doing this like you said i think since 2007 so we're closing in on 15 years but what was it like learning to you know to be a patent agent to be able to provide this guidance like if we were to talk about the first i don't know 5 years of your career how how did it feel just getting up to speed? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult transition for all of the engineers that get or scientists that get hired into this job. We only hire top end students. So you're hiring people, you know, and, and it was the same for me, you've been one of if not the best person in your classwork, all the way through school. And then you walk in feeling like you're pretty smart and you are instantly a complete idiot for several years. So it's 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 a real challenge, you know, making that transition, but at the same time it's it's wildly gratifying. I mean, the first time you get, you know, a memo or an application or, you know, some kind of a response, any written document back that's not absolutely bleeding red, it's a pretty great accomplishment in any I think young patent engineer or agent's career. So there's a lot there's just so much new information to learn. And at the same time, you're constantly learning new technologies. So it's it's challenging both from a, you know, writing perspective, because through engineering school, you basically haven't written anything since high school, most of these people. And then on, on top of that, you're you're working with difficult technological solutions as well. So so there it's it's a challenging transition. I, I don't I never sugarcoat it for people when they're gonna start. I always I like to say in our work to new people who are starting, it's like being on a group project, but you're the weakest part of that group, which no, no one's used to that. Like, I feel like every time I tell, you know, a college student that they, their eyes like widen out and they're like, holy cow. And they're that like, that's not possible. I'm never, the, I'm usually the only one doing the project in my yes. group. <laughs> Correct. That's, well, that's the exact reaction. But I actually think, I mean, there's obviously some differences, but I think some of the things you've said also just apply to new attorneys, just learning law anyway. Cause like you said, you know, it's a bit different and that, you know, you, you haven't sat, you know, for like the bar of whatever state, but you are practicing like, like quote unquote, you know, like law in front of the USPTO. So I think that analogy to the group project where you're the clueless one who has to learn is 
spot on. Makes a lot of sense. How did you learn that? I mean, is it just a matter of like being really thoughtful when you do get that that document back that's covered in red and taking the time to understand? Like, how did you navigate that? I think that everybody deals with the feedback differently. I've always done best with very direct feedback. It's, yeah, I, I, I deal better with people who can just say things that are harsh and then like, let's figure out how to be better. Yeah, when I was starting, I worked with a lot of people who would probably be considered fairly old school at this point who are now retired also. So they were not particularly, you know, careful with people's feelings. <laughs> so I think that that trait um, treated me well. But, you know, I mean, I think at Foley, we have a great group of people and the the process in, in, in IP is so collaborative and you're always working together on projects. You know, there's always a it's not a combative type relationship with the person who's marking up your work. You know, it's for a purpose and to have a better work product at the end. So I hope people deal uh, with, with the feedback. Well, I think that most do, but it definitely takes a, you know, a certain subset of personalities to, to, to deal with it and get over that hump until you're very good. Well, it's a, it's really hard thing because like you said, when you get high achieving people and, you know, maybe in engineering, they've had some humbling moments, you know, where a professor kind of like had everybody fail. I don't know. But, they've, you know, people who've been used to getting that gold star pat on the back, you're doing great to come into an environment. And like same thing, I think, you know, for the, the lawyers listening to this or aspiring lawyers listening to this, when you come into an environment and it's like, oh, no, this is going to take you some years, some years when you're used to just, you know, but if I memorize the information... <laughs> You know, I wears my gold star. It's a, it's an adjustment. I think it's a big adjustment in um, mindset and understanding. Just this is long term, and you'll get it. You'll get it eventually. And I like to think the more you hear other people talk about it, like you know, on this podcast, it maybe feels a little bit better because you know you're you're not alone in that. Right. Yeah. Every single person that you're working with at some point was the idiot in the room for sure. <laughs> they were the bad ones at the group project. <laughs> they were the bad ones in the group. That's true. You know all the way up to the top. So yeah, I mean, there is, there is comfort in that. You know, I think, I think it's important for, you know, the more senior people who are supervising work that we, you know, go through and tell people that on a, you know, one by one basis, like I use seven of the words that you wrote, they're Frankenstein edited in a different order, but you did a great job. But, but you wrote why. some words. <laughs> yeah. but you, Well, and oftentimes, you know, the work is good because they are exceptionally smart people and exceptional individuals. You know, so the analysis is there's always redeeming, you know, qualities to the work. It's just that the the particulars oftentimes end up getting rearranged early on. Absolutely. Another great way to for you to summarize that. I like that too. And I want to jump around a bit, Justin, but you know, I know you mentioned that you, you know, started another firm. And when I pull up your LinkedIn bio, I see that you're at, you know, two other firms before joining Foley, but you've been at Foley now for over five years. But I would just love to hear either what attracted you to Foley or what's kept you at Foley. And I think you've touched on it some, but I would love if you could expand on that. Sure. So I'm going to go with a, a little bit of a longer form answer on that one, if it's okay. So yeah, so I started as a patent engineer slash agent in 2007. At that time, at least in the Milwaukee area, it was not a particularly old career path. Patent agents as an entity have existed in the United States for a long time, but there weren't really programs where you would continue on being a patent agent and not a patent attorney. So there were, at the firm I started at, we had a handful, 
I think there were three people who were working at the firm who had been patent agents, but it there was no program. There was no plan for what the future looked like. And so we we started, you know, kind of working on, you know, what does a plan look like there? And I ended up leaving my first firm partly due because we didn't bring a plan together and partly because everything was weird in the recession and after the recession. And um, there were just wildly massive raises to be found by changing firms and money that I couldn't say no to. Firm stop number two, I was brought in there specifically to start a patent agent program with them, which we worked on and I'm proud of the things that we did there, but there, it was clear that the management was not stable enough or invested enough for what I wanted to do. I spoke with Jeff Gunderson and uh, Linda Benfield here in the Milwaukee office and was just wildly impressed with both of them uh, as individuals and was persuaded that Foley was the place to uh, to, to, to continue the uh, world domination tour. And I've been at Foley, and, and I think for me, the number one thing that just absolutely stands out about Foley is the leadership. You know, from Jay down, it is it, it is amazing. And I do think, you know, having the perspective of coming from two two different firms, which, which I believe are very good firms also, you know, the leadership and the direction of the of Foley is just is top notch in my opinion, and uh, it, it's something that that inspires hope for the future constantly in the times when you know things aren't going that great, and the ability to actually change and institute meaningful, you know, reactions or forward thinking concepts is super important to me. It's super important to my group, and it is a thing that, in my opinion, very much sets fully apart from other firms. Well, and also you mentioned earlier about your role as national chair of, and maybe this is where the, the, the SEAL acronym comes in. I want to say national chair of the patent agent group, but SEAL as you were SEAL team of the we SEAL team. We can give a shout out to Marcus Sproul also who coined the SEAL team. It used <laughs> to the, be the PELCTS team. The, the what? The PELCTS, what? which was what? patent agents, law clerks, technical specialists. And it really just doesn't roll off the tongue in the same way. Did you say PELTS? PELCTS. P-A-L- CTS. Okay. Not a great <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. So SEAL, SEAL team is much better. SEAL team we, is great. We, ha- we have the, uh, we have Marcus Sproul to thank. For that. Awesome. Thank Good you, job. Marcus. But as leadership of our SEAL team, I mean, what you were saying, these opportunities to really, to really to grow something and at, and at Foley, and this is where I'm hesitating a little because I'm not up to our latest numbers of agents and engineers. I think it's in the ballpark of at least around 50. I, I hope I'm not massively wrong justin you're making shaking your head maybe i am massively wrong i wish it was hey you know we can be honest fully like other people have had a hard time through the pandemic we yeah. were up at uh, at some higher numbers we're currently sitting at 33 nationwide we're at 33 okay so actually i was off but i will say for some reason i feel like 33 rounds up to 50 which it doesn't it does but it's, it, above, it's, it's basically 50 it's basically no but it's still it's a it's a number of individuals dedicated to that work like within our much broader ip department you know we have a very large intellectual property department at the firm and that I actually, I speak to Jeff Gunderson pretty frequently. And I was telling him that for the podcast purposes, I was like, Jeff, you guys are underrepresented on the podcast. Like if, for a while, if someone listened, they were like, they got litigation, they got corporate. Um, and I would say within the last like 
15 episodes I've actually really made up for and kind of like dragged on some of our IP attorneys. But ultimately, it is a large practice group. It's a large, sophisticated practice group. And so I think everything that you've been saying is really a testament to that. But I would love to hear a little bit about your role as national chair of the SEAL team. I have a sense as to what it means, but if you could say more words about that, that'd be great. I think my role with the SEAL team is one of advocacy, primarily for our group. We don't we don't have really a formal mechanism like the um, like the associate committee, you know. So I serve somewhat in that kind of a role as well as trying to figure out what a long term SEAL team program looks like. We just instituted an update, significant or a rehaul overhaul of our patent law clerk program. So one, one of the things our group has is we pay for law school uh, for our individuals while they work here still full time. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can we pause on that for one second? Because I learned about that. Now, I've, I've been at Foley two years closing on December. I don't know. Let's say I first learned about that 18 months ago. I don't know. But I definitely paused and I was like, wait a second. You're saying... <laughs> You, the person can work as an agent and Foley will pay for them to go to school. And I, and I get that it is not, it is certainly not easy, but I think it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great program for sure. It like, like you said, it's, it's a lot of work. I think, you know, those individuals, if you have any of them on, will tell you it is not exactly a cakewalk, but it's, it's a great program. It's a recruiting tool for us. It's a retention tool um, and it allows us to attract top-notch talent that we otherwise would not be able to bring in the door and retain it fully. And yeah, for the individuals, it's a lot of work and it's it's not free law school by any sense of the imagination, but but the reimbursement program allows people to go through law school while incurring, you know, minimal debts um, and still maintaining, you know, full-time employment um, with Foley. It's just great. And that's actually a great idea. I should get someone on who's gone through that that process because I've, I've spoken to a few people who have. Well, and it's really interesting because I think when you were talking about the leadership at the firm, the role you play in the SEAL team, and you also mentioned the firm's associates committee, what I've learned about Bully is the leadership is very collaborative and actually very much open to feedback in a way that, you know, it's not always a given at some other firms. And so it seems like that's been your experience here as well, which I think is great. Yeah, I would say it's nearly the opposite of my experience at other firms. There's been, you know, significant buy-in top-down at Foley in actual initiatives. Now, that doesn't mean you can just say things that you want and Foley will do them. Magically appears. But if you can present a good business case, Foley is unbelievable about, you know, making positive changes that'll impact our people and our ability to service clients. And, you know, I said it's my number one thing, but it really is. And it it comes back that, um, you know, that ability to change and adapt in the way that Foley does is uncommon in my experience. Important. Yeah. And, you know, and I actually like to take it back to your specific practice, a, a couple of different questions. So when we were talking about what the role entails, you listed a lot of things. I'd be interested into what the, the current mix is for you these days. What, what type of things are keeping you busy right now? Hmm, sure. So I have a good mix in my practice of traditional what we call prep and pros in IP, which is writing patent applications, responding to office actions uh, with the U.S. Patent Office. But I also do a decent, a, a good amount of more business interfacing IP activities in my practice. So I've been doing a few diligence type uh, support projects lately, market entrance uh, studies. So if one of our clients, for example, wants to bring a new product to market, 
And it's something that's not there every day. They're like, we're making a new product for us entering a new market. We would like to not instantly be sued by four new competitors that we didn't know about. Who's active in this field? You know, what does the patent strength look like? Here's, you know, the IP we've been developing over the last 18 months. How does that stack up? Do we want to acquire company XYZ before entering the market? All of that, whatever the client's problems are, right? Whatever comes across the desk. But those those kind of projects I, I've been involved with and I find interesting. But that's kind of the mix. I would say, I mean, still still the majority of my time is is prep and process work. And, yeah, and you yeah, mentioned the word office straight. action. And I think some of the other IP lawyers I've had on in the past may have mentioned it as well. But I don't think I've ever asked anyone what that, what is that? What is sure. that? So, so when we submit a, a patent application, uh, that goes in for filing. And then there's an individual, an examiner at the U.S. Patent Office who will pick up that document and then do their own search, find a number of different references that are older than our patent application, and then tell us in many words, why we don't deserve to get a patent for what we are applying for. So it's then our job to advise the client on you know, what the details of that office action are and propose a strategy for how we should respond while maintaining you know, the broadest possible claim scope for their IP rights. So it's that, that back and forth. And then something I was just thinking of, um, so very early on in the show, I want to say he's like episode four or so, I had Galen Yu on the podcast, who's one of our you know patent prosecution senior counsel, he was telling me how I think he still has a lot of friends that are engineers, and they may kind of make fun of him for you know not doing the typical engineering route. But he was saying how one thing he really appreciates about the, about his work is that he's like I know what's coming down the pike, and he's like and I can't always talk about it. But I know that in like four years <laughs> or whatever it is. And obviously that was like, you know, very exciting to him. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, as well as just like what aspects of the practice you find really, really exciting that maybe you can't actually say, share the details of, but that are interesting nonetheless. No, I, I think I think for everybody who's in this, the technology has to continue driving you along. And it's, I think, one of the things that draws people to the field is that, you know, the technology constantly changes and challenges you. I love that kind of thing for sure. So I do a lot of automotive and engine type work. And for a a number of years, we've been doing a lot of telematics or quote unquote smart features of everything. So when 5G started getting implemented and people started getting 5G phones, you know, a lot of people are like, "Uh, 5G, it's like, maybe it's faster. I'm like, 5G is not for your phone. It's for the stuff I've been patenting for the last six years. You know, it's for connectedness and and the data throughput, because a lot of the things that we have been, you know, driving development on are great ideas, but they're impossible to institute without a massive flow of data. Correct. Also, as you said that, I was just like, wait, what? It's not just for my phone and me streaming videos, Justin. What are you talking about? No, no. (laughs) Turns out 3G is probably fast enough if they just give you enough bandwidth. But yeah, fifth generation Internet. It's real. It's coming. So you've said a lot of really interesting things, but I have a feeling that that right there may be the takeaway that a lot of people have <laughs> from this podcast. It could be. But I, but I mean, I think to your point, that is really interesting. Like there's things that, you know, let's pick a year. They're going to come out in 2024 or 2025 that you already know, you know, that from maybe a variety of clients are going to be the hot you know, new thing or the new technology. And I think that's really interesting to, to be able to be a part of that. And also you have to remember, so you're talking to someone who, when she did practice was a litigator 
a very pedestrian, no particular technical expertise, got exposure to a trademark case as a first year and was like, actually, no, it was trade secret and promised to never touch anything involving a patent ever again. So when you say these things about like, I'm going to know what happens in the future, there is that part of me that's like, that's really cool. And certainly an angle I never considered when I was interacting with lawyers in my practicing capacity, which was quite some time ago. That's fair. But I mean, to be fair, a lot of engineers would have that same thing because they're the ones actually researching and doing these things. Absolutely. Um, It's just, you know, in this capacity, you're seeing more of them, just many, many more of them, as opposed to being on one project for an engineer for, say, two years. You know, we're working on, you know, almost everybody's building multiple matters in a day. Those are all different technologies. So you see a you see a large volume of different concepts. You know, I think Galen said something really similar. But you know, so as we start to wind down, and before I ask you sort of like my final big question, I was curious, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or highlight? Is there anything else I want to talk about or highlight? Sure. Just want to make sure that wasn't anything top of mind for you that I just didn't get around to asking you. I don't know. Maybe find the uh, f- friendly neighborhood SEAL team member in your office and go say hi. Uh you know, they're, they're hiding out somewhere. A- ask them what they're doing. No, absolutely. And t- I'm sorry that that acronym wins, you know, because at Foley, we also have a group that's called JEDI for Government Enforcement Defense Investigations. But I think SEAL wins, Justin. So, you know, tell Marcus once again, good job there. But but my last big question for you is your your overall advice. Um, you've already given so much great advice, but for somebody contemplating this this path, like what what are your, what's your... What's your advice to them? Talk to people who are older than you in person. That's my number one piece of advice. I feel like an old guy sometimes, but that's all right. I can be an old curmudgeon on the porch. That's fine. I I think there is an actual generational divide going on amongst younger people. And there is no way to reproduce the soft knowledge that you will gain by going out to lunch at Shaji's with one Mr. Jeff Gunderson, et cetera. Something along those lines, you know, just spending time talking with people, getting to know who they are, what makes them tick and, you know, how they've become successful. You don't need to grill people with questions, just exist with other people that are not your immediate friends. And uh, that that internal networking is just so wildly invaluable, especially for for junior people. I can't recommend that enough. And I know that there will be people hopefully who listen to this who will think that's funny because it's not the first time I've said it. But yeah, try and spend time just talking to your coworkers and not only the ones that you get along with super great is my advice. But that is like the advice. I feel like I've given that type of advice, but not as well and not as directly in a lot of different capacities. And as you know, it's something we're really struggling with right now, given what we're encountering with the pandemic and something that particularly those more junior in their career who, you know, it's really comfortable to work from home. Like it just, it just is, but you do have to wonder to what extent, you know, is that affecting your professional development? You have folks like me, you have legal talent departments working really hard to close the gap. But the bottom line is, like you said, what you can learn from just having that conversation with somebody, it's hard to recreate any other way. Yeah. I mean, in our, in any law firm, it, it's difficult because there isn't a corporate ladder. There's not one person you need to impress to be good at this job. There's no set, you know, set of activities that you need to do. You need to figure out how to be excellent in a subjective environment. 
And there's there's no you can't do that remotely. In my what in my opinion, again, I preface this saying I'm an old curmudgeon on his porch, but I just think those those personal interactions and relationships are what have driven the legal industry for hundreds of years. And I just don't see that changing because we worked through the internet for six months this one time. Yep. Well, and you know, Justin, what I'll add to that is the people who can do that remotely have are the people who've already put in that time. They're the people who don't need to do it anymore. You know what I mean? Because they, yeah, they already did it. Yes, that's that's true. Yes, if you're if you're you know a partner at the top of their game and you know you're bringing in all of your clients, uh, you're probably not going to need my advice. <laughs> exactly. You can <laughs> so live through your computer. You. <laughs> yes, correct. You can do whatever you want. Oh, but, that's so yeah. important. But yeah. uh, but I do think I think that that in person, you know making a point to stop by for coffee or something along those lines is that's my biggest piece of career advice. All the people we hire are wicked smart. It's all going to be fine from, you know, an intelligence standpoint, it's learning to make those relationships and, you know, sell, I kind of hate the term, but sell your brand internally. Uh, as a junior person, you're almost like a subcontractor trying to get and sell your own self to, you know, to the partnership. So it's, it's an important, important skill to learn, work on. So you just see me doing a whole lot of nodding because I just think that cuts right to the core. And also it can save you so much time and headache, even beyond the, the the branding, but just some people will say words to you that could literally cut hours off of an assignment or months off of you worrying about something because you learn or you'll see a model. You're like, okay, I don't know if I want to work like this person, but I like the way this person administers their practice. And oh, there's just so much to gain. So I will refrain from us talking about this for another 25 minutes. But thank you so much for that, Justin. It's just really great advice. That's the advice I would give. It's perfect. Well, and with that, my final, final question for all my guests is if people have you know questions or want to reach out to you, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website and send you an email? Yeah, absolutely. Hit me up on Teams, send me an email, wherever you need to find me. I'm around. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 